Now, if you are here out of the blue... Better get your dang grays on. We have finished The Sound and the Fury, and we're going to do our last video, at least this round, on the Old South, New South ideals found in these sections. If you have missed any of our videos, please feel free to click the playlist for The Sound and the Fury playlist down below. <laughs> so, welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Rebel Crypto. So, I have to start this session out with my experience of going on this Frank Lloyd Wright and American architect tour. And we're walking through his house and it's the craziest thing where these rooms are just so overly designed. I, I say over, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, they're spacious, they're inspiring. But when you walk through the hallways, it's like, oh, excuse me, like I'm gonna turn sideways here. It's super cramped. It feels claustrophobic and you don't want to be in the hallway with anyone else at the same time. And the bedrooms aren't super comfortable either. It's like, this is a bedroom? Like, just kind of want to get out of here. It's super cramped. It feels like a like a New York Bronx cheap hotel. <laughs> I have closets bigger than this. <laughs> but the tour guide explained to us that this was actually by design. Frank Lloyd Wright wanted you to feel this claustrophobic and condensed feelings when walking through hallways. He wanted you to not spend a lot of time in the hallway. The idea was that when you exited into a room, the ceiling still didn't lift up right away. It was a couple of steps into the room that finally there was a cutaway that just opened up the room. And the tour guide explained that this was to make you feel a release upon entering into a social area. And I can't help but have that feeling with this book after the Benji convoluted sensorial experience to the assault that Quentin's mind is going through. Finally, we have a little bit of relief with Jason, right? Oh, this narrative, it makes sense. And oh my gosh, what a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you love to hate the main character, don't you? He is almost irredeemable. I'm... I'm <sighs> I have I have the smallest amount of understanding of him, but there's there's almost nothing that can redeem him as a character. True. But you don't have to like him or him be redeemed. You just have to understand him and his motivations. Exactly. So today we're going to focus on Old South, New South ideals in this novel and kind of talk about how this novel maybe had some more representation and symbology about American history at this point in time. So we briefly talked about Old South, New South in the before you read video but today come back on over to crypto's corner and i want to give you a few more details about the old south and the new south one thing that we have to discuss when talking about the old south is that it is defined by culture this is a rural community they are agriculturally based they own people that they're reliant on slaves for their plantations to be successful Mm -hmm. One of the main defining characteristics of the Old South and their culture is this antebellum era where women are viewed very specifically and treated very differently than many other places in the country. Mm -hmm. The Southern Belle. Yes, we have that idea of the Southern Belle. Prior to the American Civil War from 1861 to 1865, that was the way of life for most Southerners. Now, fast forward, the Civil War takes place. The North wins. Slavery has been abolished. It's no longer legal to own other people. We have the New South. And in this time period, we will be focusing on rebuilding the South without the reliance on slavery. We have to have a huge influx of money. And there's going to be this transition from one person owning another. And how do they work together to forge a future together? Hint, it didn't go well. <laughs> and that's because... 
Old South or New South, it didn't matter. It was all still rooted heavily in racism of looking down upon and thinking that people were lesser than you because of race. I can't legally own you now, but I can still figure out many different ways to oppress you and deny you civil rights and liberties. Enter Jim Crow laws, where they would put in these crazy laws where we get the old saying, being grandfathered in to restrict voting rights and land ownership rights, job rights, curfews, shopping rights, everything to the freed slaves. So here's what's interesting, right? Benji's section, you're almost just freed from a lot of the racist ideals that exist in the other parts of this book. And I think that's very interesting because literally Benji was written to not see racism. He's stuck at a young childish age throughout this whole era. And we know that William Faulkner acknowledges in his eyes that racism is learned. He explored that very thoroughly in chapter seven of Absalom, Absalom. And then comes Jason and Quentin. Who are obsessed with one thing, Caddy. That's all that matters to them. Maybe a little bit money for Jason. But still, Caddy, Caddy, Caddy. And the Old South and New South were obsessed with one thing as well too, right? Power. And specifically, the Old South was about power over another individual. New South is about that as well, but they abuse it in a different way. So it ties in this idea of racism for control, and they want to control Caddy. All right, so comparisons. Let's start going through this. We're going to go through traditions and heritage, and then after that, we're going to go into racism and control as kind of our two main themes here. So we'll start off with Quentin, and he is an individual that is stuck in the past. He is very, very protective of his sister. This is symbolic of that many Southerners after the Civil War, they they were mad. They had this idea that they didn't lose. They think, we didn't lose, we just gave up, and then the North left. And since they didn't lose, they felt like they could still hold on to their Southern traditions. And arguably they did. They still got to fly their battle flags. They still got to suppress the former slaves. They were still able to hold on to some of that heritage of the Old South. And we see Quentin starting to represent a little bit of this looking back on my heritage, looking back on traditions and and this familiar aristocracy, if you will. And I would say the section kind of opens up with Quentin and his watch where he literally is pulling the hands off his watch to stop time. Another way to look at this is what is a watch? It's something that is handed down to you. It's heritage. And William Faulkner has explored that in The Bear in Go Down Moses. And what does Quentin do? He tries to disassemble his heritage. He tries to take apart something that is literally counting time, counting the past moments, if you will. Yeah, so he's trying to get rid of that old Southern power or get rid of the the idea that slaves were forced into what they were doing and that we're getting rid of that control, the dismantling of the old South and moving towards the future. Dismantling the old traditions and laws, right? Yes. All right. So let's talk about Caddy because that can be a little bit confusing for a lot of people, right? Yeah. Another part that can be really confusing is Quentin and Caddy's relationship. She is the quintessential Southern Belle trope that represents purity for Quentin. I don't think that the subject matter is especially whether or not he did or did not commit incest. It's never really brought up except for in this one section or by any other characters. But I think that there is this 
obsession over Caddy's virginity, that it's this representation of Southern virtues and its independence from the North. So this lie of incest may be the betrayal of the South against its own traditions as they're sabotaging themselves. And what happens is after the Civil War, many Southern families were devastated because they can no longer afford to operate their plantations without slavery. So in the story, we see Mr. Thompson die of alcoholism, and he's not taking care of his family. He's not taking care of the South. I think this is kind of showing how he's taking the wrong turn, right? We saw earlier how Benji was always upset, and Benji was always the one with a kind of maybe the strongest moral compass. Kids can usually tell what's right or wrong, right? And when he turned the wrong way, Benji would get very upset is one, one way to interpret how he got upset there. And I think Mr. Compson is representative of the man that is turning the wrong way, the guy that's not leading his family into the future. He was very fatalistic. He didn't think there was a different way to do the way things were done. And I think this is something that's brought up, maybe not to a high extent here, but more in some of his other novels, is this is an issue that William Faulkner will hit over and over and over again. And that's just how slavery was perpetuated is by people who thought nothing could be changed if they just accepted what was handed down to them. So finally, with Quentin being the old South, he's getting traditions and stuff handed down to him. His father that didn't stand up and change the old South, the way things were handing it down. And you see him kind of dismantling time and you see how it destroys him being an embodiment of these traditions. Yeah, definitely. But he's not the only one that's representing this either. You could see it in Mrs. Compson as well. She's addicted to pain meds, uh, hypochondriac. She's literally relying on the freed ex-slaves to help them. So there, there's multiple people that are, you know, making this argument for us. And I think this is passing of the maternity responsibilities also you can see this explored with the dilsey section as well. well we'll we'll get into dilsey here in a minute so the last thing we can talk about here is quentin's death and it the death of the old south but it's not the death of the traditions as those will continue on in some form yeah and you can see that how he's constantly being assaulted by the past in the section the crazy ending of this there's literally no punctuation this isn't a flashback like benji this is literally the past being assaulted Kind of like a battlefield, much like the Civil War, is what Quentin's going through. And what happens at the end of Civil War is the death of slavery, at least. And here you have the death of Quentin after this battle. Yes. Make note of that, that there these are not grammatical mistakes, but it's done intentionally to make you feel this way. Like you're going through a minefield. So Jason is only looking at the future, I would argue, and not paying heed to past mistakes, similar to the New South and how they rebuilt after the Civil War. I agree. Jason is definitely the representation of the the New South. He is uh, wants to be a banker, new money, representation of money. He's moving away from the old life tied to the agricultural plantational farms. So we have that shift from old to new again. But he can't get past his Southern values. So he's kind of a, a hypocrite because he wants to move into the future, but he can't let go of his Southern heritage. He has to be the man and take care of his family. He's been brainwashed to be this Comson, and he can't let go, even though it would serve him better. He's a self-reliant, important man, and he could have had much more had he been willing to change. Well, and he blames others for those situations too, right? If I didn't have to feed you guys... I would be so much more successful. Yeah, and you can see that that's holding on. If, if I didn't have to take care of these slaves or if I didn't have to do this, I would have it so much better off. That me, me, me mentality. Ex-slaves ex at this point, of course. Yes. 
All right, so the fourth section shows how important the African Americans were to the Southern society, is what I would argue, and traditions, because we're literally watching the decline of the Southern aristocracy through this chapter. Yes, and the Compsons are the representation of that prominent Southern way of life. Yep, she takes them to church. She's doing all the work around the house, cooking, cleaning, water bottling Mrs. Compson. (laughs) (laughs) She's literally holding the family together and raising their kids when she says, who else gonna raise them except me? Ain't I raised every one of (laughs) y'all. I think I said it better. (laughs) (laughs) The point being is she is saying change is coming and it's going to impact everybody. Yes, exactly. All right, so racism and control. Quentin, he kind of assaults you right away when you sit down on, a, what was it, the, the trolley or the bus, and uh, he immediately talks about wanting to segregate himself from the African-American sitting on, on the trolley. Like, he assaults you with racism immediately. And this can be very shocking and jarring for an individual, as tough as the first section is with Benji. Then you have this this coming in uh, from his innocence uh not acknowledging racism, and then being hit with it right in the face. Uh, So as you're entering Quentin's mind, uh, you have this battlefield, just like the Civil War, of prejudice and segregation thoughts and all these. And you're like, wait, it was so sweet and innocent with Benji. I just want to go back to that. (laughs) Well, to be fair, though, if Quentin's going to be our representation of the Old South, control is power. And as we've said before, caddy, caddy, caddy. He wants to control caddy. Uh, he swears an oath to her. He's willing to use violence, just like they did with the the, the slaves. They, you know, beat them and torture them. Uh, he held that knife up to her throat. Uh, this is right. creating a, a very negative relationship. Well, and it's not even, he expresses so much of this loss of innocence, this virginity in an aspect that we kind of talked about in the time aspect through her. But it's not just her, right? Like Quentin, this is Quentin, this racism. The racism just just come out because they see these people. A good example is Deacon, right? To me, what did, well, I guess, let me ask this. What did Deacon represent to you? I think maybe what Quentin could have been. Oh, no, no, no. I I went with a totally different route where he was like a representation of the entire Great great Migration. Okay. From 1910 to 1930, you had millions of, of now ex-slave freed African Americans traveling from the deep south up to the north looking for different jobs. You have Bull Weevil coming in, taking their jobs. Ain't nobody working here but the Bull Weevil, they even mentioned in this chapter. Yep. You know, when you first meet Deacon, he's... He's speaking in a very specific vernacular, a deep Southern vernacular, right? And as soon as you become indebted to him, once he has work from you, you know, representing the deep South coming up North, once he finds work, he's starting to find his own way in life, becoming his own man. And you'll notice the accent starts to fade away. His gestures kind of stop being described as so wild and crazy. And you start to realize that now these boys are indebted to this man to take care of them as he's kind of acting like a porter of some sort. It's never really fully described. But I think he's representing all the African-Americans that traveled up north, bull weevil taking jobs, and thusly becoming entered into a new age of a new age where they didn't escape Jim Crow, but they've escaped some of the Southern oppression. Yeah, I feel like they're still going to experience racism in this new life, but my view of Deacon was that he does represent change. Change is happening, just like we saw with Dilsey. 
Right, but he still experiences racism, right? For sure. So Jason has lost the most as a child, is what I'd argue. And people say, well, why is he such a jerk? Well, we don't have a full picture, but we do have a partial picture. Because if you remember, this all started with Caddy and the dang pear tree. And I'm going to call Jason the pear of inner peace, which he lacks without Caddy, right? And in this moment, if you remember, Jason was always sleeping with his grandmother, Grandma DeMoody. And in this moment in the pear tree, who's the member that passes away? Grandma DeMoody, the person that he was most connected with and spent the most amount of time with. So when you lose something, or if you've been oppressed or seen terrible things, such as in that evening sun, when they saw the, uh, I think it was the washerwoman having her teeth kicked in as uh, she was being abused and being a prostitute, she was being a prostitute to try to make money. Jason saw these things. And what happens when you see a lot of those things? Well, it's a psychological fact that as you grow up, since you didn't have much control as a child, or even in your mind, you didn't have control from these horrific things that you're seeing and loss that you're experiencing, you start to become more controlling. As a real fact, people have been abused or have lost greatly as child, as a, like as a young child, will become more controlling as an adult. Since they can't control all the horrific things that are happening in their mind, they force their control externally. That's Jason. Even being broken after Mr. Thomason's failure to take charge of the family, uh, Jason has to take that burden on in the form of controlling others and trying to provide for them. Uh, And his leadership is built on his insecurities because of what happened to him as a child. He doesn't know how to do it properly. Uh, That fall of male power in a sense of the war Uh, the Civil War, the the future of America, the change of America. So I think the problem here, all right, so if we're going back to the New South, New South couldn't own other people, right? They had to use money, violence, and oppression to achieve their power now. All of the things that Jason does. And we see time and time again, Jason is obsessed with money, and that's because money allows him to have control. Southerners used money to buy labor and view this as an expense off of their margin. In the Old South, Southerners, they would own their laborers. They didn't have to pay anything. In the New South, now they have to pay their laborers, and that's making a big change for everybody. We see this in the representation of rent that has to be paid the Gibsons and the, the mouths to feed everybody. They now have to, to, to feed people, and that's a, another big change. Another great example is how he's always threatening to ship Benji off to the Insalem Asylum. And you can also see a commentary here, even externally from Jason with Luster, where they talk about as soon as he's given a quarter, he gives it right back to the white man. That's kind of the New South design as they used money to kind of control them at this point in time. Now, another form of control was violence, right? Lynching was a form of fear, a way of, of oppression and scaring people. And I think you see that with Luster here as well, where Jason was constantly threatening to beat Luster for not taking care of his brother. <laughs> uh, he was yeah. constantly threatening the the Dilsey, and he would smack her if, if she didn't have her way. But you'll notice he never talked back to his mama, right? He never once talked about raising a hand to his old, you know, family, if you will. And that's another one of those things of him holding on to his old Southern tradition way of life is you may use violence against these certain people, but you're going to always respect your mother. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting about these two Compson brothers is both used violence. But in different ways. Quentin was protective and owning, while Jason was more controlling and reactionary. 
And I think Faulkner does a good job here because the Southern story is one of violence. It's wrapped up in violence before, during, and after the Civil War, and we would be remiss not to touch on it. Now, the fourth section, I think, is kind of representative of how slow change is, at least in the United States of America, in this regard. One thing that's very slow to change is oppression. That has been a tradition long in the South. They didn't know how to change it. They didn't know how to move forward in time. For the slaves, the former slaves, they just stayed, a lot of them, in the South and continued farming. They had the shackles released, but they still truly weren't free. And that's that's our girl Dilsey here, unfortunately. She's oppressed, she's forced into servitude, and even though she is free, she's still serving the Compson family. Very abusive Compson family. Yeah, Dilsey's had a very abusive life, children are violent, mentally abused by Jason, but she still sticks around, so why would she do this? I think this can kind of expose some of the harm the Old South and New South did to the African-American culture. Exactly. Even with their newfound freedom, I think that they'd been beaten down for so long, they still felt powerless. Dilsey has never experienced making her own choices, and she's still under Jason's rule. So we talked a little bit about how Benji in the Benji video is representative of a sensorial version of the truth. If you just report what happened, is that representative of the truth? For Quentin, we talk about how his abstraction-based version of the truth fails as well. And here for Jason, we have just straight factual reporting as well, different than sensorial. And I think this also doesn't represent the truth. We're still not getting to that objective form of the truth, which I think is representative of Caddy's narration, which is why Caddy is never brought into the present and we never get her point of view in the story. And we don't want it because it would break everything. Even omnisciently stepping out from the Compsons, getting Dilsey's view, getting, getting a view where Jason doesn't seem as smart or as intelligent in the section where they talk about when he's going up to the car, the narrator and says, well, Jason never thought about that. That you'd <laughs> never have heard that in the stream of consciousness section three, but in the omniscient narrator section four, we start to realize the Compsons ain't all that smart. Their house is decaying. They are losing control of the old way of life because they can't move on. But here on the Codex Cantina, you will always know that we'll bring you our truth. well all right guys thank you so much for joining us on our journey here of the sound and the fury if you guys have been reading along what have you thought about some of these themes these characters are incredibly complex and compelling when we boil down and look at these in specific thematic ways we don't mean to detract from how complex these characters are how realistic they are because we talked about some of the biographical elements in the before you read section that i don't want to mean to take away that you can't look at these in different ways we're just trying to expose some ways that might make better sense for why quentin would hold a knife to his sister's throat why would jason be such a jerk and mean to everyone compared to the traditional way of quentin but quentin is still racist and still violent with with getting into fights these are all ways of extracting meaning to us as readers so hopefully these have been able to maybe give you some meaningful moments in interpreting this novel which is clearly his most popular novel and possibly his best (laughs) well all right guys if you would like to join us on more literature discussions like this in the future please hit the subscribe button and don't be shy to hit the uh in-depth playlist down below if you've missed any of our other previous videos on this novel peace una out